Go ahead and uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We're going to be back in Genesis again this morning, looking in 22 and 23. No, excuse me, 23 and 24, looking at those chapters in their entirety. And everybody that's been here Sunday after Sunday is thinking, Evan, you move at a snail's pace through passages of Scripture, and you're going to cover two chapters with us today, one of the chapters being 67 verses, yeah. Well, here's the deal. We've got Messy Church tonight, and we want the best Messy Church crowd ever, so we're going to be here until Messy Church walking through. I'm just kidding. Or am I? Here we go. Genesis chapter 22. We're walking through looking at how God fulfills his covenant promises. How from the beginning, Christ Jesus was the plan of redemption. How Christ Jesus was the one that would come in and rescue us from our sin. And so we've walked along and we have saw how Adam and Eve messed it up introducing sin. We saw the, the fruits of that and how Cain and Abel, the second generation people, if you will, uh, There was murder over worship and then it got so wicked and so evil that God regretted that he made us and he sent a flood to destroy everyone except for Noah and his family. But it wasn't a whole lot better after Noah because the wickedness still resided within us and we get to Abraham who God has said through you Abraham will all nations be blessed. I will make your family thrive in this town or at this location and your family will be massive and Abraham walked by faith. Well, we get to Genesis chapter 23, and these are the words that we find. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read chapter 23, and then we're going to walk through chapter 24. Does that sound good to you guys? I'm not going to read all 87 verses to you this morning. So we're going to start with 23, and we're going to move there. It says in chapter 23, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my Lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our graves. For none of us will refuse you his grave for burying your dead. Now Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land and the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them saying, If it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and approach Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owns." which is at the end of his field for the full price. Let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. So Ephraim was sitting among the sons of Heth and Ephraim the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even all who went in at the gate of the city and said, no, my Lord, hear me. I will give you the field and give you the cave that is in it. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you. So you bury your dead. Abraham bowed before the people of the land and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land saying, if you will only please listen to me, I will give you a price for the field or accept it for me that I may bury my dead. And Ephron answered Abraham saying, my Lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver. What is that between me and you? So bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron and Abraham weighed out For Ephraim, the silver which he had named in the hearing of the sons of Seth, 400 shekels of silver, the commercial standard. 
And Ephron's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field that were within the confines of its border were deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah facing Mamre, which is in Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that was in it were deeded over to Abraham, a burial site by the sons of Seth. Let's pray. Father, we look at your word and we look at this being just kind of a funeral ritual and we start asking ourselves, what does this have to do with your promise? Father, you're a good and mighty God and your word speaks to our hearts even now and so we know that what we are to do is found within your revelation and we thank you for that. Give us ears to hear Give us strength to stand. Give us the ability and the resolve to be the hands and feet of Christ, moving into the streets of Fairburn to see lives transformed by your gospel. Lord, we love you, and we ask this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. All right, so you got all that, right? All the haggling over price and how much a field is worth, and uh, it looks like, hey, I'm just going to give you the field, but no, don't give me the field, and all of these things. Yeah, what has that got to do with uh, Christ in the beginning? What has that got to do with how we move from Abraham forward? Now, I want you to understand what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at five uh, observations out of chapter 23 and chapter 24, just kind of right off the page, kind of look at the narrative, the scenes that, we, that transpire in front of us. We're going to kind of bullet down to what the central point is, and then we're going to connect it to our heart in four ways. So let's get started with the, the observation. Chapter 23 is basically this. Sarah has died and is buried. Sarah dies and she's buried. And in the midst of all this haggling and all of this uh, concentration on where we're going to bury and what we're going to do and whose, whose sons are there and who this guy is, here's what you and I have to see. There is a thread that connects Eve to Mary and it goes through Sarah. Sarah was the wife of Abraham. She was the one to whom the promise was given that Abraham would bear a son that would be a blessing to all nations. Now, we know how the Abraham and Sarah narrative played out. Sarah got tired of waiting. She was in her late 60s and said, Abraham, just take Hagar. Let her be the one to give you a son because I'm too old for this. Abraham listened and it didn't go well. And then when Sarah was 90, she hears the, the voice of the, the, the messenger of the Lord say, hey, this time next year, we're going to come back and Sarah's going to have a baby. And she laughs because Sarah was 90. 90-year-old women don't have babies, right? Right. And Sarah said, it's not going to be me. How's that going to be? But it did happen. Isaac was the one. It was through the line of the woman that the seed was to be traced. You remember the promise that was given in Genesis chapter 3? It was actually the, ser the serpent that received this promise. The Lord speaking to the serpent, Satan says, guess what? You're going to be on your belly. You're going to eat the dust of the earth. And you're going to have this enmity and strife between your seed and the seed of the woman. You're going to bruise his head. And guess what? The seed of the woman is going to crush your skull. The seed of the woman. We cannot gloss over what happens with Abraham and Sarah without seeing the maternal line that will take us all the way to Bethlehem's stable. Biology fact number one for today. You would not be here if you didn't have a mama. You wouldn't be here if you didn't have a mama. 
Some of you are here because your mama didn't smack you into the next week like she promised. Somebody said, yeah. (laughs) It was a kid too. That's awesome. (laughs) And so we see Sarah, this mother of Isaac, to whom the promise of God was given. No, not Hagar. To Sarah, this child will be born. She's gone. She dies and she's buried. The matriarch of Israel, so to speak. The the matriarch of the line leading to Christ is now off the scene. where, Where do we go from there? 24, chapter 24 says that Abraham was old and advanced in age. We know that to be true, right? He was old before we got to 24. And it says, the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way, but he says to his servant, the oldest of the household who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth that you shall not take a wife for my son from among the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, but that you will go to my country, to my relatives and take a wife for my son. The servant said to him, suppose the woman is not willing to follow me back to this land. Should I take your son back to where you came from? And Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, from the land of my birth, who spoke to me and swore to me, saying to your descendants, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you and you will, not t- and you will take a wife for my son from there But if she is not willing to follow you, then you are free from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. Sarah has died. She is buried. But Abraham now sees his son Isaac and he desires a wife for Isaac. He desires that there be a wife for his son. Keep in mind, Abraham knows the promise, right? Abraham has been given this promise of a family that will number more than the stars, number more than the dust of the earth, and through that family will all nations be blessed. And he also understands biology that those children don't come unless there's a mama, and there is no wife for my son, so there is no mama for those children to be born. We've got to have a wife. And so he makes makes his servant swear this oath. I just want to go on record as saying, I'm glad we don't swear oaths this way anyway, anymore. Come and put your hand under my thigh and promise. No. A handshake will do just fine. You know, I, that's, that's just me. I'm, I'm just being real with you. But here, hey, come and put your, place your hand here and swear to me that you will go to the land. Do you see what Abraham's doing? He's preserving a line of faith. These Canaanite women will not do because these Canaanite women do not know from where I come, do not know the customs I hold, and therefore they do not understand the God I serve. There's no evidence that Nahor, the brother of Abraham, was a God-fearing man, but it was very evident that the Canaanites were not God-fearing people. Daddies, why don't you take a note out of this page for your for your sons and your daughters about who you allow them to hitch themselves to. Not just anybody will do. 
I'm sure there were plenty of lovely Canaanite women would have made great moms and been able to do a lot of great things. But Abraham said, the women of the land will not do. Go back to my home. Once again, I'm glad we don't go after cousins for wives. That's another sermon for another day. But go there and find a wife. But what if she doesn't come back? What if she says, you know, that sounds cool and all, and I'm sure your master's a very wealthy man, but I kind of like where I live, and I know nothing about that place, so I don't want to go there. Just bring him here. What if that's what she says, Abraham? What do I do? Do I take Isaac back there? Notice with me what Isaac, or Abraham says right there in verse uh, six. Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son there. Many of you know I grew up in Tifton, Georgia, just straight down Interstate 75, if you can you know, navigate the Atlanta jungle to get to Interstate 75 and head down two and a half, three hours south and you get there. That's, that's where I grew up. I don't want to move home. I, I don't want to go back to where I came from. I can tell you, I could, I could take you all over Tifton and show you where this happened and that happened and who I knew that lived there. And I can, man, we walked down memory lane. You, you could walk me around Fairburn. You can take me down Fairburn memory lane. We know that I, I don't have any desire to ever go back and live in Tifton, Georgia. But it's not because Tifton's a bad place. It's just, I don't have a desire to live there. I've got fond memories. I love some people. I love my home church. I love that place. I owe so much of my life to that church, to God's work in that church that allowed me to be standing here on this platform with, with the honor title of being the pastor of First Baptist Church of Fairburn to help you people, help this congregation, my family here grow in the grace of understanding who God is. But there's a really, really, really good reason why I didn't marry a girl from my hometown. One, because Chrissy's the most beautiful woman that's ever lived and she's not from my hometown. Wink. And because I didn't want to have all of these unnecessary ties back there. It's a good place. It's a good town. Not for me. But that's not why Abraham says no. Abraham says no because of the covenant. Notice what he says. The Lord, the God of heaven, took me from my father's house. He took me from the land of my birth. And he spoke to me and swore to me saying, to your descendants, I will give this land. For you to take my son Isaac back to that land is for my son Isaac to say, I'm forsaking the covenant promise of God. I am rejecting what he has provided. I'm not gonna do. I want a wife for my boy, but she's gotta be here. And so I'm gonna pray that God will send his angel to bless. Those are some pretty good marching orders for his servant, right? So the servant goes and he gets there. And I love what transpires in verses 10 to 14. The servant's on the way and he's, he's getting there into the, into the land where he's supposed to be. And, and, and he's, he kind of just prays. Notice what he prays. He says, Lord, God of my master, Abraham, please grant me success today. That's a prayer we can resonate with, right? Please grant me success today. I'm not worried about tomorrow. Just let me get through today. 
Show loving kindness, your steadfast covenant love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. May it be that to the girl to whom I say, please let down your drawer that I may drink and the one who answers drink and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. See, this went just from, hey, go back to my homeland and find a wife for my son Isaac to the specific prayer of the servant of Abraham saying, God, I'm going to speak to one woman and let her be it. Please, because of your covenantal love, God, provide. Provide, not not for me, but for someone else. Hey, I want success in this, but, but, but please, Lord, let this be. And notice verse 15 says, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with a jar on her shoulder. Man, God's already at work. You believe that? You believe God's still already at work? I believe he is. Right here, he's not even got the prayer out of his mouth and here she comes. What was that old song from the... Uh, from the here she comes, just walking down the street, singing. I know who listens to the oldie stations. Yeah, here she comes, walking down the street. Yeah. Rebecca comes and she draws water for Abraham's servant. She comes out and it's just like Abraham prayed. He, he, he sees her. He lays eyes on her. It's, he notices that, look, verse 16, she was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and came with her jar and filled her jar and came up. And so he says, please, could I have a drink of the water? And she says, sure. Hey, while you're drinking, tell you what, I'm gonna go get some water for your camels. Didn't he just pray that? Here she comes, just to walking down the street and saying, yeah, there we go. And she's moving on and she, she, she does exactly. And so he, he reveals to her what's going on. It says there in the Bible, it says that he pulled out a ring and he pulled out a couple of bracelets and gave them to her and says, is there room in your house for me and my camels to stay tonight? I know it's 2019, that's kind of creepy. I know, ladies, if you're at Walmart and the guy says, hey, do you mind buying me a two liter of that Pepsi? And you say, yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, can I come stay at your house? You're like, no. No, you cannot. This is why I keep mace. This is why, you know, this is why we have such fine standing uh, citizen soldiers like Officer Gant and Officer Sims to keep those people away. Customs a whole lot different 4,000 years ago. Is there room? And she says, yes. You may lodge at our place. And she gets there. They get home and she introduces this man, this servant, to her brother Laban and to her father. And Laban says, come on in. Let's get the banquet ready. Let's have a feast here. We've got a guest. That's a whole lot different than today, right? Somebody comes over to your house unannounced. You're telling everybody in the house to shut up, be quiet, don't go to the door. Right? If you got kids, you're telling them, don't pick out the blinds. Get down. No, somebody comes over, you're like, I haven't cleaned, I'm, I look like a mess, I don't have anything, all I've got is a box of mac and cheese. Man, no, 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 not, not in the old days. Some of you grew up in the day when you had an unexpected guest, you had a cake set aside in case company showed up, right? 
Nobody could touch your company cake unless guests showed up. So the kids were always praying, please let there be company. I want some cake. Please let there be. That's kind of what you did. Unexpected guest comes up to Rebecca's house and Rebecca says, hey, here he is. And Laban says, let's put on the hog. Well, they were kind of somewhat Jewish. They didn't eat hog. Let's put on the lamb. Let's roast this thing. Let's have a feast. And in the midst of this feast, it says there in the passage of Scripture, it says, um, excuse me, verse 33, the food was set before him to eat, and the servant said, I will not eat until I have spoken my business. And Laban says, go ahead and speak. And from there, he begins to outline absolutely everything that took place from the oath that he swore to Abraham, his master, through the prayer that he was uttering to God, all the way to Rebecca's acceptance of the invitation that he invited himself over for dinner. There's a lot of things that are going on in this passage that we see, and it's not just as simple as a lady going to get water and helping out a stranger. Verse 45, before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder and went to the spring and drew. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly lowered her drink from her shoulder and said, drink and I will water your camels also. That's huge. Verse 50 says, and Laban and Bethuel replied, the matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you good or bad, but here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go, let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. I am a dad of a daughter. It would have to be the audible voice of God himself to get me to let my daughter go with some stranger to a foreign land to be somebody else's wife. But Laban and his father Bethuel have heard from God that this is what was to be. And Rebecca agrees to go back with Abraham's servant. Rebecca agrees to return. There in the middle of the passage, it says that Abraham's servant heard these words and he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. The servant brought the articles of silver and gold and the garments and gave them to Rebecca. But then Laban's like, hey, um, why don't you just give us a few more days with my sister? Why don't you just let us have a few more? This is a little foreshadowing for Laban and his character. We'll see uh, on down the road a little bit. Why don't you give us a few more days? And the servant says, no, we've got to get back now. And so they turn and they say, he says, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, we will call the girl and consult her wishes. They called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. I will go. You want to talk about a step of faith? To be able to say, I'm, I'm going to go. I've heard what you said. I'm going to go. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know the guy that I'm going to meet. I don't know who's going to be my husband here in just you know, the next few hours. But I'm going to go. It's a huge step of faith. And it says in verse 62 that Isaac had come from going to uh, Be'er Lahai Roi where he was living in the Negev and Isaac went out to meditate in the field. 
toward evening and he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, camels were coming. Rebekah lifted up her eyes and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and she said to the servant, who is the man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, this is my master. She took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac everything that he had done and Isaac brought her into his mother's tent and he took Rebekah, she became his wife and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Isaac takes Rebecca as his wife. Isaac takes Rebecca as his wife, as his wife. He meets her in the field, he hears the testimony, and they're married. What in the world does all this have to do with God's promise, right? It's a it's a pretty cool story. It's a pretty cool narrative to read. And man, you could, man, you could make a really uh, great Hollywood, you know, love at first sight, fall in love in the field movie and all that stuff out of this, right? Maybe, maybe not. Here's the point. God provides a wife for Isaac as part of his promise to bring his redeemer from the seed of the woman. God provides this wife at this particular time for this particular man, Isaac, because it was part of his promise to provide a redeemer, to bring a redeemer. The promise that he made that from the seed of the woman would come the one to crush the head of the seed of the serpent, to put an end to evil, to put an end to to wickedness, to put an end to the deceit that runs so rampant within our hearts, within our flesh. The struggle that we have, it comes from the promise that God made that through the woman, one would come. One would come. And and, and I know you start thinking, you know, but is that really where it gets? Okay, well, think about this. Jesus didn't come from Joseph, did he? He came from the woman. If you go go to the book of Matthew and the book of Luke, and you start tying things back into the, the genealogy of Jesus and everything else, it traces back to Mary. And I know you're sitting there thinking, well, well why, why, why is that? Could, could, could God have sent his redeemer some other way? Absolutely he could. Here are your scenarios. God could have spontaneously caused the Christ to appear not being born of a woman, so therefore not being fully human in such a way that his sacrifice would not fully cover the sins of the human race. Christ Jesus had to be fully human in order for the blood of man to be shed to cover for the sin of man, our sin. Furthermore, it could not have just been a man-woman thing because Jesus Christ had to be fully God, not appearing to be God, not a great speaker, not a great miracle worker, but fully God in order for the blood that was shed to be holy and righteous in order that it would cover our sins that we could be forgiven and made free. It had to be through God's design, his promise of provision for the Redeemer to come through the seed of the woman in this way that you and I could say, that is my Christ, that is my God, that is my King, I am forgiven because of him. It had to be. God provides a wife for Isaac as part of, of his promise to send a redeemer through the seed 
of the woman. Sarah's gone. Her role when the promise was fulfilled when Isaac was born. Isaac has to carry the promise for his father Abraham and he cannot do it without a woman. So what do we do with this? How do we connect this to our heart? Where do we step from here? Let me give you four four things that you need to uh, see in this passage and wrap your heart around this morning as, as we seek to make disciples and reach Fairburn with the good news of Jesus Christ. And the first one is simply this, that my activity and God's will work together in God's providence. My activity, what I do, and God's will, his purpose, his plan, work together in God's providence. At some point, we have to understand or we have to decide that what we do matters. What you do, what I do, what we together do matters. It is not a threat to the sovereignty of God at all for us to say that. Over here on this one side, way over here, let's get on this side of the pendulum swing. Make the camera move with me here. Over here, we have this idea that that what we do does not matter because God is ultimately sovereign and he is in control of everything. And so there's nothing we could do that can undermine that or thwart that. And to say that our actions carried that much weight would threaten his sovereign and judicious power over everything that he made. And we get over here. Follow me, camera. And on this side of the pendulum swing, We get way over here and we say, you know what? What we do actually doesn't ultimately matter because God's gonna respond to us because he's not really in control of things. So he's waiting to see what we're gonna do like we're playing this great cosmic battle of chess. That's bad theology. That's heretical theology because God is immutable. He does not change. God is sovereign. He is in complete control. God is our creator and to him we have to give an account and to him we must answer. So we find ourselves right here in the middle and say between this sovereign God who is in control and between the responsibility he's given us as his image bearers, we have to see that what we do matters because it's how God brings his providence to this earth. Look at what happens. Sarah has died. We've covered that one extensively. Abraham is, Isaac is single. Isaac needs to carry on the promise. What is God's will? That through Abraham would all nations be blessed. Now, if Isaac decides that he's going to be, um, What's the right word? Single his entire life and never um, have relations with a woman whatsoever. Celibate, that's the word. If Isaac decides that he's going to be celibate, that's not working. His activity is not working in accordance with God's providence, is it? 
Abraham makes an oath with his servant. Hey, I'm going to send you to this place to get a wife for my son. Now, the servant has the opportunity to say, uh, that's too big of a task. I don't think I'm going to do that. His activity does not work with the will of God in order to bless this, this, this family, in order to bless all nations. Now, does it? But instead, this servant says, okay, I'm going to go. And as he goes, he makes a prayer. And in the prayer, he says, Lord God, I ask that this would be the one, verse 14, that you have appointed, that you have appointed. I am stepping out and working, and I'm asking your work to be that which has appointed this woman to be the wife of my master. That word appointed is in a, is in a very nice uh, uh, compact Hebrew word in what we'd call a nifil, a hifil stem. I know you're loving this, hit, this little Hebrew language as we're getting here. But basically the hifil stem connotates causative action, right? In other words, it's getting to be baseball season. I'm excited about baseball. My favorite baseball player of all time was Ken Griffey Jr., King Griffey Jr. in his career hit well over 600 home runs for a career batted two, uh, 294. That means that 29% of the time he got a hit, which means that he didn't have to pass all of his math classes and still get an A. And so what that means, what I'm talking about with, with the causative is King Griffey Jr. hit the home run. He caused the home run to happen because he swung the bat and the ball went over the fence. The ball didn't just fly over the fence because it's like, hey, look, there's people. Let me go see them. No, it was hit. The hit was the causative action that resulted in a home run. God's will is for, that, for this family to be blessed at this particular time. And so he has made this covenant with Abraham. And Abraham is acting in regards to the covenant and sends this servant. And this servant prays, God, I need you to act as I am acting and bring this to happen. And guess what? Here comes Rebecca. Here she comes. Before he finishes speaking, God's work is already evident. Did that mean that God wasn't a sovereign God and he had to wait for that guy to get in that place to pray that prayer to act? Absolutely not. But it does mean that his activity was dependent on God and they worked together for God's providence. The second thing that you and I see in this passage of scripture is one that's a little bit harder for us as Western civilization Christians. And that is this, that we cannot neglect to worship God when our plans are met with success. You and I cannot neglect to worship God when our endeavors are met with success. We all want to be successful, right? Some of you want to be successfully lazy, if I can get through the day without having to do anything, get dressed, put on makeup, go out, I'm perfect. That, great, success might come your way. We all want success. The prayer starts, Lord, please grant me success. But I want you to look at the huge pause that's inserted into this passage of Scripture. It happens in verse 25. She's just introduced himself, herself to who she is and he's asked if he could come over and spend the night. And she says in verse 25, we have plenty of both straw and feed and room to lodge in. And the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. 
And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and truth toward my master as for me. The Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Oh man, it would have been so easy for this servant of Abraham to have said, good, this is the one, let's go. And followed the path. But before he followed the path, he stopped, he humbled himself, he bowed, and he worshiped God. A lot of times we don't stop, humble ourselves, bow. We'll, we'll throw a quick, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, blessing on it, and move on without the humility of heart. You ever read you ever read the, the, the credits inside of like a, a CD cover for who, who, who your favorite singer or, or group or band or whoever, who they're thanking? Or, or you, ever, you ever watch these award shows or whatever and, and they're like, they, they'll say, oh, I want to thank God and then all these other 900 people that were involved or whatever. And you're like, but there's nothing in your life that screams thankfulness to God. I, 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 found, it, I found it a little odd uh, just about 10 days ago, Kylie Jenner, uh, one of the somehow Kardashian-Jenner clan and on TV, has, has been, uh, become the youngest self-made billionaire. Self-made. There were a couple of plastic surgeons that helped make that. But um, the first self-made billionaire, right? And, and I really found it odd that in an interview recently with her, she gave credit to God for her success. Now, let me go on record and say that just saying thanks to God and living a life of thankfulness and worship are two completely separate things. And this isn't about Kylie Jenner, this is about us. Because we wake up like, oh, I'm just glad to be alive. I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna knock this day dead. Here we go. And we go through and we, before we hit the head, hits the pillow, we stop and we're like, oh, I'm supposed to thank God. Thank you, God. And we are off to sleep without living in the success that he has given us with a spirit and attitude of worship. This is, this is the heart attitude that Paul addresses in Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one, Paul talks about the gospel. He says, the gospel, I'm not ashamed of it for it is the power of salvation first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And then he starts talking about the godlessness of the world around him. And he gets this, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood for what is through what has been made so they were without excuse you see creation you see that God exists verse 21 but even though they knew God they did not honor him as God or give thanks no one in this room is self-made some of you climbed a much steeper hill than others some of you, because of the color of your skin, because of what, who your parents were or what your parents did, life was made more difficult for you, has been more difficult for you for no other reason than that. That is shameful. It's shameful. 
but we're not self-made. We are made by a creator God who loves us, who made us in his image, who gave us his likeness and gave us the breath of life so that when we step out, we say, I am made because of who God is. Our successful endeavors must be met with worship before an almighty God. Whether your success is making it through the day without putting your kids into next week or whether your success is carefully loving your husband or your wife as Christ loves the church, whether your success is, you know what, I survived today. Praise God. The third thing we find in this passage of scripture as we look in chapter 24 is to understand that God will place us in situations where we must decide if we will follow his plan. God is going to place each one of us, if you are a follower of Christ, if you've trusted him, if this whole idea of redemption and being a part of the family of God is true for you, he is going to place you in a position that's going to be tough. It's going to be a position where you have to weigh out all of the options, all of the yeses, all of the noes, what's going to happen, what might not happen, what you have no idea will happen and decide, am I going to follow God's plan or not? Henry Blackaby in his iconic Christian work, Experiencing God, says it this way. You cannot go with God and stay where you are. You can't go with God and stay where you are. This is true for each one of us. It happened here in this passage of scripture in a couple of places. It says over there in verse 39, It says, I said to my master, suppose the woman does not want to follow me. Guess what? This woman was put in a very precarious predicament, right? Hey, here's a strange man with a camel that invited himself over and now he's gonna try to take me back to his land to marry some man I don't even know. But now she hears the full story and her father and her brother say, this is is from the Lord. We can't say if it's bad or good because we've heard the Lord speak in this. And so they ask her, What are you going to do? She is in a position where she has to decide, am I going to follow this plan of God or am I going to hang out here in in the homeland? And she decides to go. But then there's Isaac. Isaac knows he needs a wife. He's heard Abraham, his father, tell him time and time again about this promise that God's made and all this that has to happen. He knows what's going on. And so here he is walking across the field and there's that servant dad sent out and he's got a woman with me and Can't see her face. She's got it covered, which was custom, but you know, I I don't know. Is she Cinderella or is she one of the evil stepsisters? I don't know. And he takes her as his wife. He doesn't just take her as his wife. Notice the word that is used very emphatically there in verse 67. He loved her. It wasn't just, okay, dad's worked this out for me. But I see the promise, the plan, the direction that God has had. This is my wife and I love her. Everything I am, she will become. Everything I have, she will now have. We are one. And and sometimes when God puts you in that place, you have to be like Rebecca and you have to ask, is it worth leaving everything I know behind? That's hard. 
Sometimes you have to be like Isaac and say, okay, I'm not exactly sure where this is going to go, but this is what God has placed before me. I'm going to step out and trust that this is God's hand and his provision. But you can rest assured that wherever you are, whether you are dealing with health care, you're dealing with a job you're stuck in, whether you're dealing with a broken relationship, wherever you are, God is going to place you in a situation where you have to decide, am I going to trust his plan? Am I going to trust his way? Or am I going to pick up the best self-help book? Am I going to tune into Oprah? Am I going to tune into uh, whatever my, my newscast of choice is? Am I going to try to follow that way? Or am I going to see what God has placed in front of me? Every single one of us. And he does all this. Number four. Because as Abraham trusted that God would provide Jesus beckons us, his church, to trust God's providence for our future. Our church has a beautiful story. If you're visiting our church, if you've never been here before, I want to say welcome. Sorry I missed the first part of the, the service, wasn't able to be in here with you. I, I want to say, well, if you've been here for, for a few weeks, a few months, I'm glad you're sticking with us. If you've been here for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, you have seen the beautiful, the beautiful work of God in this church. My heart's desire is for our church to look like our community. And what I mean by that is not behave like our community, but be representative of the families that make up Fairburn in a way that we can reach into individual homes, families, lives, schools, businesses for the sake of bringing glory to God, making disciples, building families, and reaching people with the good news of Jesus. No matter where you came from, no matter what your mom and dad did, no matter what your mom and dad didn't do, I don't care. No matter how much money you make or how much money you wish you made, I don't care. Because God has placed us here. And as a church, we are at a pivotal moment where we can say, yes, I'm going to grasp this. I'm going to embrace what God is doing right here. And we're going to run headlong into Fairburn with the good news of Jesus Christ. Or we're going to say, well, that might be risky. Can I just dispel the myth and make sure you're, you're not suffering from the lie that pervades too many churches? Following Christ is risky. It is. If you want a life of safety, don't follow Christ. I'm just, just don't. There were 12 men that followed Jesus everywhere he went for the three years he walked on the planet. You know what happened to all of them? They died. One hung himself because he betrayed the Christ. The other 11 died because they were followers of Christ. They were exiled. They were beaten. They were stoned. The, the, great, the, greatest, the greatest preacher of the first century church and greatest apologist for the faith, Paul, had his, he lost his head over it. Peter, the disciple of Christ that was there every step of the way with him, was crucified upside down because he did not want, he didn't think he was worthy of being put to death the same way Jesus was, so he asked to be flipped over. The only one that made it out without being executed was John. He was exiled and left in a tower to rot for years by himself because he wouldn't quit proclaiming the gospel. You want a safe life? Don't follow Jesus. 
But if you want a life of adventure and excitement and joy, and Jesus said, I have come not that you would have life, that you would have life more abundant, that you would have higher highs and lower lows. Let's be real. Come to me and I will give you rest in your lowest lows. Work alongside of me and I will carry the burden as you strap your yoke to mine in the highest of highs. But we must seek the provision of God, his providence as the church of Christ, as we step foot boldly into a new day, a new generation to see the gospel do what only the gospel can do. And that is to bring a congregation like ours together for the glory of God to make disciples in our schools, our workplaces, our businesses, everywhere we go in Fairburn. But it starts here and in our homes. Because God took our redemption serious enough that he would fulfill his promise every step of the way do it again and he'll do it again and he'll do it again and he'll do it again and again and again because he is a faithful God who fulfills his promises even if it means giving Isaac a wife so the redeemer would come